This is A to Z with Mark Zinno, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Good afternoon. Welcome to A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, where today I tell you I wasn't ready to do this yet. Welcome in. We are live here on this Tuesday. We appreciate you guys making A to Z part of your everyday single sports listen right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. Of course, follow me at Mark Zinno, M A R K Z I N N O. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Like us there as well. And we appreciate all the love and support you guys have joined us in this venture here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. we got some brave stuff to get to as they lose last night. We'll get to that coming up for the end of the show. Plus a great conversation with Will McFadden of the Falcoholic. A deep dive into this offseason, dovetailing some of the stuff we talked about yesterday with Kyle Pitts and a player who may not be here one week from today. That is all coming up here on A to Z. But I want to start today with Deshaun Watson because – as I said, I wasn't really ready to do this yet. Like, th there's more news that's going to come out, and I wanted to do this in totality um, and really kind of give my my thoughts and feelings on Deshaun and, and, and where we are. But with HBO Real Sports doing their piece tonight and having two of the accusers speak publicly on the record, um, not in a courtroom, but publicly on a record giving their story tonight on HBO Real Sports it is going to sort of at least change a little bit of the perception of this whole thing. Um, and... and I don't know that things can look worse for Deshaun Watson at this point. I mean, he's got 22 different women accusing him of something. We had from the Sports Illustrated stories very specific graphic details of the things that went on according to these women. And uh, Deshaun Watson even admitted that a woman left a massage crying. So... I don't know how much worse anybody thinks this can look because objectively this is bad. It, lo it looks bad all around for Deshaun. Now, the NFL and the Cleveland Browns don't care, and, and that's their prerogative. I'm not going to sit here and, and play moral judge on them. Um, and there are certain people who are mad at the Falcons for going after Deshaun Watson. I'm not going to play moral judge on them. Uh, that, that's, for me, I, I don't want to get into that discussion. I don't want to get in that conversation because everybody's moral code is different. We, we all want, want to live under this presumption that we all share some sort of similar or same moral code. No, we, we clearly don't. That's not the America we live in. That's not the world that we live in at this point in time. So uh, I think that notion is sort of silly and idealistic, and it doesn't really hold a lot of water. Um, so I'm not going to get mad at a business for doing something that is in the best interest of their business. The Cleveland Browns are a business. The Atlanta Falcons are a business. If they wanted to employ Deshaun Watson, that's their prerogative. If I don't like it, I can choose not to patronize that business. It's that simple. And anybody who made those decisions, fine. Good for you. Like, I'm not mad at you. If that's going to change your fandom or that's going to alter what you think, absolutely your prerogative. However, Deshaun Watson and what is going to happen in this civil trial here is going to be a very interesting case for the NFL because they haven't come to a conclusion yet on what they're going to do from a punishment standpoint. Um, you know, the NFL and Roger Goodell and the way they arbitrate these things, there's no rhyme or reason to it. And what they choose to do with Deshaun Watson here is, is going to be very telling. Now, remember, you got to go back. 
obviously the Ben Roethlisberger thing that happened in Milledgeville, Georgia, I think it was Milledgeville, said the name of the city. He got six games for that. No charges, never arrested, uh, never went to a civil trial. Now he may have paid the the young woman off and it went away very quickly. This was obviously a different time years and years and years ago um, when, when that had happened and just the, the culture around, you know, sexual harassment, sexual assault and, and, you know, violence against women crimes are, are, were completely different. So that, that, that happened. And then of course, Ezekiel Elliott got six games for pulling down a woman's top briefly uh, or, you know, she pulled it back up. Uh, he got six games for that. He was never arrested. He was never charged. Uh, there were there was no court case. And and again, I, I don't remember if he paid her any sum of money or whatever to sort of make it go away. But he got arrested. I would tell you when it's 22 different women accusing him. Uh, and who knows how many of these women have actually met with the NFL and are willing to speak with the NFL uh, about what they saw. Um. If the NFL only comes out with six games, that's going to be quite below board from what we've seen them do. Again, there is no rhyme or reason to any of this, and there's no way to figure out exactly what Roger Goodell and the NFL are thinking. But I know he sat out all of last year because the Houston Texans wanted him to, and they weren't going to, you know, they paid him essentially, but, you know, they were willing to eat the money. But basically, they said, hey, you're not playing for us. Um, and now, he may have to sit out again. Like, if it's a year suspension, does anybody feel like that is too much? Just based off of what we saw from other people, based off of what we've seen from other folks who were suspended, right? And other suspensions out there. Again, no rhyme or reason to the way this goes, but that's sort of what it is. And I don't want to say too much more because honestly, again, this is one of those things where there's going to be more information that comes out. I'll have more reaction tomorrow after the real sports piece comes out tonight, and we'll probably dive into it a little bit deeper based off of what I've what, what we see tonight and how it goes. But I think really, ultimately, that is something that um, is the initial reaction in my mind. If it's not upwards of 12 games to a year, um, I'm curious as to know what the NFL saw in their investigation. And look, we know, full disclosure, the NFL does not give a rip about women. They don't. They've said so over and over again. They want their money and they want their fan base and they want their patronage, but they don't really care about violence. It's, it's not something that they actually give a rip about. So let's not pretend that they do for one moment. Uh, so if they go in a different direction and they make a shorter suspension, eh, so be it. But I would tell you that that would be fairly inconsistent with what they've done before. All right, coming up next, we'll turn our attention to the Atlanta Falcons. Will McFadden of the Falcoholic going to join us right here on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Welcome back in A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast. Search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Let's get into the Atlanta Falcons. And one of my favorite outlets for my Falcons information, of course, is the Falcoholic, Dave Choate, big friend, uh, big fan of the show, big fan of his work over at the Falcoholic. And it's okay if those folks over there are a little bit biased towards the Falcons, they should be. They're all writing about the team, and, uh, but I love that they do. I love all the enthusiasm that they put towards their energy with the Falcons, and especially our next guest who used to work for the Falcons but now is one of the Falcoholic staff. He is on the show for the first time, I think, with me ever here on A to Z. It's Will McFadden joining us here on the show. Will, great to talk to you, brother. Thank you for joining me. 
Yeah. Thanks so much for having me on, Mark. It may be my first time popping on the show, listening <laughs> you going back to the, to the radio days. So so definitely uh, appreciate all the work that you do. And hey, you know, if, if I'm biased, it's kind of hard to be biased at this point in time, honestly, when it comes well, to this team. So <laughs> the, no, you the objectivity. Look for the, right? You look for the positivity. Yeah, uh, you know. I discussed yesterday and I talked about Kyle Pitts and, and what we can expect in year two and what the progression is because, you know, year one to year two in the NFL is always going to be a big jump. Yep. And I, I think it's super important that when we, we look at Kyle Pitts' growth and development, that we grade him the right way. And I'm looking at specific stat categories. Like I, I, I know the one touchdown bothers people and it should, it's inexcusable. You've got to find a way to get the tallest guy on the field, the football in the end zone on a routine basis. I, I believe Arthur Smith will work towards that a little bit more uh, now that he has a little bit more, I guess, control over on the field stuff that it, Matt Ryan, you know, made a lot of his own decisions, right? That's the benefit of having Matt Ryan there that you don't have to do things for him, but I think he'll have a little bit more influence. Anyway, I, I look at Kyle Pitts and I think I want to see receptions in the seventies, right? I want to see his, his yards per reception up above 15 where it was of all the people who had at least 50 receptions last year, Kyle Pitts was sixth in the league behind guys like Jamar chase and Gabriel Davis and, and uh, Justin Jefferson, you know, guys who we really think about stretching the field and being huge playmakers. So he did that really well. I want to see that continue. And 43 of the 68 catches last year, Will, were for first downs. Guys who move the change are super important. Guys you can rely on on third down are super important. So I'd like to see that sort of percentage, 63%, or two, two of every three catches was a first down for Kyle Pitts. I think those are the, the ways we should be measuring him in 2022. Yes, I completely agree. And I think that you really touched on the two key parts here. The first being Matt Ryan and – I, I love Matt Ryan. I mean, I think everybody does, and, and his record speaks for himself. But as a former league MVP, he does have a certain amount of uh, decision-making ability, some freedom out there on the field to, to kind of run things the way that he sees. And quite frankly, for as many great qualities I think that Matt has as a quarterback, I don't know if he is the best red zone quarterback. And because the windows really shrink when you get into the red zone, you have to start taking advantage of the vertical spaces. And Matt's never been the very best kind of uh, back shoulder fade kind of to the pylon or just a jump ball, let your guy go get it. That's not his best throw. He loves to drive it down the middle of the field, those kind of 15, 20 yard in route, dagger route, that type of thing, and then get it up over the top on the sideline and the boundary. When you lose all that space, it just takes away what Matt does well. So I think maybe even a quarterback change could help uh, in the red zone. But everything that you just mentioned about yards uh, after the catch, kind of first down totals, receptions overall, that is, you're right, what we should be looking for because yards by themselves can be empty calories. And yeah. at the end of the day, you got to score those points. But I think that all of those markers that you touched on show that Kyle Pitts can be a really, really good player in this league. He came into a situation that, uh, you know, people were expecting him to maybe be that number one, but we were also talking about Calvin Ridley. Could he ascend and take over, uh, you know, Julio Jones's spot? And then Russell Gage, what could he do as more of a, a number two receiver that never panned out for many different reasons, whether it's injuries, Calvin Ridley kind of leaving the team midway through the season. So Kyle Pitts kind of had to take a lot more on his plate, I think, in year one than maybe the team wanted to. And, and they did use him as that deep down the field type of presence. So can that continue? I absolutely think it can. I mean, dude, the dude's just starting his career. So the athleticism is going to be the biggest part of his game for the you know first part of his rookie contract, really. And now it's, can you get the guys around him involved and hopefully free him up 
to take more advantage of some of these opportunities. But I, I think I think he can absolutely make a big leap in year two, especially now that it looks like they are starting to get a few more pieces around him than maybe they had last year. And, and when you look at Kyle, you know, I, I think the the major part of this whole thing simply is, you know, can he put up numbers in a situation where the numbers aren't really advantageous or the situation isn't advantageous? I mean, I, I had some people responding to me on uh, the YouTube channel that we have for Locked On Sports, you know, not taking into account who the quarterback is. No, I, I am taking into account who the quarterback is, but that's really not supposed to matter uh, when you get a guy drafted fourth overall. You drafted Kyle Pitts to be a focal piece of your offense. You drafted Kyle Pitts to be a, a unguardable target. It doesn't matter who is throwing him the ball. And when the Falcons drafted him, when Terry Fontenot and Arthur Smith drafted him, they knew at some point Matt Ryan was not going to be his quarterback and they were moving on to somebody else. So I can't really put that into the, the equation. And then furthermore, in the first round again, they went and drafted another pass catcher knowing who the quarterback is. So I I, I can't rely on that as the measure to say, well, Kyle Pitts is going to get an, a buy this year if his numbers aren't good. No, he's not. Like you drafted these guys, both Drake London and Kyle Pitts, to be complete mismatches to defenses and be able to put themselves in a position where it doesn't matter who's at quarterback, they should be able to get the ball. Yes, uh, absolutely. I mean, you look at who's the player that went, uh, you know, kind of right after Kyle Pitts, Jamar Chase, and totally, yes, Joe Burrow took a big step forward. They they were a much better team, a more complete team, but there's no doubt that the presence of Jamar Chase took them up a level. And that's what you need, right? You need these guys that you're drafting, especially in the top 10, to elevate the team kind of immediately and by themselves, regardless of the situation around them. That's the type of player that you're expecting to get in that top 10. And so it's interesting that the Falcons clearly are uh, prioritizing some of the height at receiver. Obviously, Kyle Pitts, uh, really tall, Drake London, 6'4". Like, they're bringing in the size, but it's less about that. I think they're really bringing in some interesting dynamic athletes. And catch radius has been a big term that they throw around. I do think that knowing that they maybe were going to transition to the future at the quarterback position sooner rather than later, catch radius is a great benefit for a young quarterback where accuracy may be an issue. And it kind of is with Desmond Ritter at times. So all of that being said, yes, Kyle Pitts needs to elevate this offense no matter who is throwing him the ball. Drake London needs to elevate this offense no matter who is throwing him the ball because when you're not going to get elite quarterback play, you then need to get great play around that quarterback to hopefully elevate them into a great spot. And that's what the Falcons are banking on with, with Drake London this year, Kyle Pitts taking him last year. And yeah, if I'm not saying that Kyle Pitts can do what AJ Terrell did last year, but you're right in saying that the growth from a player's first year to second year to third year is usually the biggest that they're going to have in their career. And if he can make, you know, even if we're talking about 1,300 yards and six touchdowns, that's huge. That's great growth for Kyle Pitts, even though I really like what he did as a rookie uh, in his first year. And I'll add one more thing on Pitts and, you know, to, to that YouTube commenter's response. I don't care how many catches he gets if he gets the requisite target share, because at least that means you're throwing him the ball and mm -hmm. you're understanding why he's there. So 100 targets is not enough for Kyle Pitts. It needs to be in the 130 range, um, is particularly if you want to get him 80 to 90 catches. But still, at least if they're forcing the ball to him, 
and saying, this is our best weapon and we're going to do everything possible yep. to try and make sure that we get him the ball, even if our quarterback stinks, even if his catch radius isn't what we want it to be, at least we understand the, the philosophical point of why this player is here. So that's the other thing I'd look at. All right, well, let's uh, let's transition over to defense here. We uh, look at the calendar. We got a, a week left in the month of May. June 1st comes around. And for those who aren't too familiar with the NFL calendar, that post-June 1st thing that you know, every Twitter GM loves to talk about, oh, just do it after June 1st. Well, that date's actually coming and real GMs have a job to do. And we may be waving goodbye to Deion Jones here coming up uh, in a week. If not, you know, they may try to trade him. But, I mean, is it really all, you know, but decided that Deion Jones is not going to be on this roster come week one, you think, at this point? I I kind of do. Um, and, yeah, Jeff Schultz obviously had the piece in, in The Athletic today kind of saying it. It almost feels like an inevitability. I, yeah, I'm not trying to put words in his mouth, but that was kind of the theme. Yeah, of I got that the same piece. vibe from Jeff's column. <laughs> yes. Um, and obviously waiting until after June 1st has a lot of salary cap implications. This offseason has really been defined, I think, by the salary cap for Atlanta and, you know, getting kind of out from underneath what they have done in years past. And Deion Jones was part of that main core that the team really chose to invest in and give a second contract and kind of reward for uh, the success that they had in 2016 and 2017. And I was really interested to see how he was going to look with this new regime because the Team P scheme is very different from what Dan Quinn wanted to do. Deion Jones was always kind of like the face, the focal point of kind of that Dan Quinn defensive style early on. And then he had maybe easily his worst season. Pro Football Focus, he was like one of the worst linebackers in the league last year, Deion Jones. And on the flip side, we saw Foye Luikin kind of emerge and, and bloom in that defense. So there is success to be had here. But when you're a player like Deion Jones and you are undersized and you need to be protected and kept clean, that's not what this defense necessarily wants to do for its linebackers. You're going to have to kind of hit. You're going to have to get off blocks. You're going to have to be a little bit more physical. So I just feel like it's a little bit of a, you know, a decline in production on Dion's part. And then just a, a little bit of a scheme mismatch. It's not the best fit in the world. And so given that he is currently has the highest cap hit on this, uh, this roster, it, all the signs point to it making sense both now and for the future to move on from a player like Deion Jones. And oh, by the way, you saw everything that they did in the draft, loading up on on some defensive players there, especially kind of linebacker, outside linebacker, and then bringing in uh, Rashawn Evans kind of during the offseason. Uh, Nick, I can't pronounce his last name, uh, from the from the Raiders. But you're seeing that they're kind of making the moves to build out that linebacker room a little bit more. And I think that that means the writing's on the wall for a player like Deion Jones. Well, and, you know... <sighs> Well, I am not the film breakdown guru guy. Uh, what I saw a lot from Deion Jones last year, and I'll, I'll, you know, give him the benefit of the doubt that there may be some things that I don't schematically fully understand about, you know, hey, in this moment, I've got to make decision A or decision B. But I, it looked like I saw just a lot of indecisiveness is putting it friendly, but let's just call it laziness. Like he just never moved. Mm -hmm. Like he looked very, for a linebacker, like, um, okay, yeah, I guess I'll run over here. Like you could just tell on film there wasn't a lot of movement with purpose, right? Like and a Dan lot of Quinn, missed tackles. Yes. When Dan he got always, there, missed tackles. If you're going to make a mistake, make it fast, right? Like that always stuck with me, at least for defense. If you're going to make a mistake, make it fast. And I think most defensive coordinators can understand that mantra. You didn't see that from Deion last year at all. 
No, absolutely not. And this was a player whose kind of defining trait is speed. It's a speed, right. <laughs> yeah, he's somebody who who should be able to chase down a running back kind of in the open field or go sideline to sideline and beat everybody there. You know, during training camp OTAs, they always do the drill where it's, yeah, if a, if a running back gets to the boundary or receivers there, the whole defense is supposed to chase down to the sideline and try to strip the ball or tap the, the player or whatever. But it teaches, hey, the play's not over. Everybody has to go over there. It's, you know, it's pretty fundamental stuff. But but Dion, like they would almost make that a competition and Dion's beating everybody over to that, to that player. So like the speed is not an issue. He's not that old yet, which is why I think it's even more troubling because, you know, you, you, you throw out the term laziness and I, I don't think that that's too far off. Now I'm not going to ever criticize a, like a, a professional athlete for being lazy because I think that inherently like to get to that spot, right. you well, can't it's be lazy. An effort issue. Right. right. It's an effort issue. And, and that's where, you know, I, I think that especially in a first year where you have a new head coach coming in, uh, preaching accountability, preaching competition, that's going to stand out. That's going to stand out glaringly to a uh, coaching staff, to a front office. And when you, again, couple that with just a really lack of production last year, uh, I, I mean, I think that I think that Jeff is pretty spot on when he says that yeah. the, the end could be coming sooner rather than later. I mean, look, if they could find a trade partner for him, even for a seventh round pick, I'd do it. Uh, just because the salary cap ramifications mm -hmm. and somebody's got a little bit of room, but GMs don't arbitrarily just waste money just because they can, right? Like that's a bad way to manage your cap period. Uh, regardless of that, let's look big picture here. Is there a position group? Cause I'm trying, I'm going running through my head of one. I really think that could qualify, but if there's a position group in general, that's going to surprise us in 2022 with how well they're playing. What position group would you look at? Like the only one that really comes to mind to me is the secondary, yep. but they have AJ Terrell. So like, that's cheating. Like we, 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 in reality, he didn't get the accolades, but AJ Terrell is going to be by the end of the season, easily a top 10 corner in this league, right? Like everyone's going to recognize he's that good. He might not have the interceptions that, uh, what's his face in Dallas gets, uh, who's the on Diggs. Yeah. He's a little bit overrated. I'm not going to lie. From a coverage <laughs> standpoint, he's a little bit overrated. Uh, but yes, he's, he's in the right place at the right time to make picks. So that counts for something, but you know, he's not going to get all that kind of pub that Diggs is getting, but he's going to easily be a top 10. So that would be one. I think that's obvious, but is there another one beyond that? Yeah. The secondary was the the first one that jumped out. And more specifically, I was thinking about the safety group. Um, because I, I do think that, and I spoke with Jalen Hawkins, uh, on, on my podcast a couple weeks ago. And I think that the presence of Deron Harmon and Eric Harris last year is really going to pay dividends for players like Jalen Hawkins and Richie Grant, who I think some people were a little underwhelmed uh, by his rookie year, simply because he just wasn't really out there on the field defensively. Big role on special teams, but I think it was a little bit of a, a learning year, a redshirt year for Richie Grant to be behind veterans who can really teach him how to be a pro, how to prepare, how to um, get ready for games, what to look for, all of that stuff. So secondary because I love the Casey Hayward signing. It's probably my favorite offseason acquisition for Atlanta. Um, but I, I think that the secondary could be weirdly like the strength of this defense. We just mentioned linebacker and, and that is the spot that I'm most interested to see throughout the course of this season, because I do like a lot of the pieces that they brought in. I think Troy Anderson uh, is one of the most interesting rookies that I've I've seen come out in quite some time just because of his overall skill set. I mean, the dude has like a perfect 10 relative athletic score, which compares players basically historically based on their combine and testing results. And his biggest comps are like Bruce Irvin, Lorenzo Carter, uh, Von Miller, like these types of 
all pro like pass rush players. And he's a linebacker who was a former quarterback and running back. So all of the linebacker who emerges, because now if, especially if they part ways with Dion, there's going to be plenty of opportunity for guys to emerge and step up. And I like a lot of the depth that they have at that position. I think they are kind of raising the floor of that group. Um, but now it's all about who is going to be able to emerge and kind of separate themselves. And if it's Troy Anderson, if it's a D'Angelo Malone, like that's awesome. If it's Lorenzo Carter, if it's Rashawn Evans, if it's some of these veterans who are former first round picks in their own right, maybe they get in the right type of scheme. But I look at the linebacker group as something that has changed really quickly. And I think changed exactly in the way that they need to for what Dean Pease wants to do on defense. It's interesting. You, you talk about the linebackers, you know, I covered Dean Pease when I was covering the Ravens in Baltimore and that's the one position group. And I said that when the Ravens got Dean Pease, I thought the linebacking core was going to take a huge step. Now, again, I was wrong. I thought Deion Jones would have taken a huge step. I, again, I was wrong, but that's really been Dean Pease's heart and soul of his defense always has been go all the way back to new England when he was mm -hmm. with the Patriots. I mean, his linebacking core was insanely good and athletic and, they made a lot of plays, and they really were. It wasn't about front four. It was about those linebackers that really did everything for the team. So I would expect that, again, to be the case. And, and clearly, Arthur Smith has a, a huge amount of trust in Dean Pease to mm -hmm. pick the players that he wants for his defense at this point in time. And sure, he's surly, and he's old, and he's crotchety, and he's a curmudgeon in media press conferences. But he's still a darn good football coach, and I, I won't take that away from him. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be likable for the media, but he, if he's a darn good football coach and his players respect him, I think that's enough. Yeah, and, and I mean, let's not forget that, that Foye Aluokan just led the NFL in tackles. So, like, they he did get production. It's just not from from the guy we Best all expected. Player, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but but I think that yeah, he's inside linebackers coach by trade. That's his background. Like, Bill Belichick, obviously, Nick Saban, these guys value the linebackers. You're right. The linebacker is really kind of the focal point, and it's why we hear him talk about blitzing. It's why we hear him talk about, you know, just the, the way that you can manipulate and move things after the snap and confuse quarterbacks. All of that relies on your linebackers because they're really – there's four of them now. So, I mean, that that's the biggest thing, uh, the difference between the 3-4 the four, the 4-3. Four, but they, they have to do a little bit of everything. They've got to be able to cover. They've got to be able to get off blocks. They've got to be able to take on blocks. They've got to be able to blitz. They've got to be able to do it all. Um, and, and so, yeah, I mean, I think that if I'm kind of buying low on a group, it would be this linebacker group here in Atlanta. Uh, he is Will McFadden. Follow him on Twitter at Will McFadden. Of course, check out all of his work at thefalcoholic, thefalcoholic.com. Always great to talk to you, brother. I'm glad we got finally a chance to spend some time together. Let's do this again real soon, and I appreciate you stopping by A to Z. Yeah, thanks so much, Mark. All right, we'll take a time out. Come back, wrap things up here on this Tuesday on A to Z on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. A to Z here on Locked On Sports Atlanta, free on YouTube and where we get your podcast, search Locked On Sports Atlanta. Give us a follow on Twitter at Locked On ATL. I'm at Mark Zino, M-A-R-K-Z-I-N-N-O. Subscribe to our YouTube channel, like us there. Watch all the videos and, of course, wherever you get your podcast, make sure you're listening to Locked On Sports Atlanta and A to Z. Certainly appreciate all of the support. Uh, Braves need support right now. It wasn't a good game last night as they trailed behind 7 nothing to the Philadelphia Phillies. And I don't know why, but sort of today feels like one of those must-win spots, if that makes any sense. Like, it just kind of feels like, you know, you lose to the Marlins and you lose to the Phillies back-to-back. -back, you're nine games out of first, and you have your ace on the mound tonight in Max Freed. Uh, you don't win a game like this, and it's going to start to feel bad. 
I'm not going to get hung up on the nine games out thing. I just, I, I literally can't. I, I understand why people are doing it. And I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just not focusing on that right now. There's just so much left that can happen. You know, again, the Mets don't have Max Scherzer or Jacob deGrom in their starting rotation. How much longer that persists um, will ultimately tell how good they're going to be and, and what their records are going to be. Like, I can't control anything that the Mets, all you can control at this point in time is the Braves record. And my only focus is them getting above 500 here um, sometime before June 15th, which is the date I put on the wall. So from that standpoint, I'm going to sit here and focus on that and nothing else, because I just don't know that there is a whole lot of sense in me focusing efforts on things that they can't control. Again, the next time the Mets play the Braves is at the end of June. I'll worry about them then. Right now, they've got to take care of the Phillies who are inching closer to 500. They're two games below, and the Braves are four games below. So that's where the focus should be. It does feel a little bit like a must-win tonight. Uh, you get these spots in a Major League Baseball season where games feel bigger, seem bigger, series are bigger than others. Um, it's you know it's the first time they're seeing the Phillies all year long, and uh, that's a team that underachieved last year. They have the Braves in their sights as a target on their back, as a team that they want to be better than, a team that they want to catch. And so, you know, this is a uh, a spot tonight where the Braves sort of have to reassert their dominance in the division. Uh, and it's uh, it's it's been ugly. Some of the Braves' losses have been ugly. Uh, and, and I'm starting – I'll say I'm starting to turn. I'm not saying I'm fully turning, but I'm starting to turn right now as Memorial Day is right here in the window. And we just don't look like we're playing a better brand of baseball. That's sort of the other thing. You know, it, it's, it's one thing to – uh, to lose games. It's another thing to like have just one weakness that is costing you games, but you're still winning more than you're losing. You know, if the Braves had a bullpen problem and they were blowing leads, you know, I, I feel like that's a better situation than what they're doing because it's addressable. Like you, you can fix it. You can fix it with the roster that you have. You can fix it from the minors. You can situationally address those things. They can't situationally address the strikeouts because everybody's doing it. And, and and I I wish they would stop, but I don't know what else to tell you. At this point in time, if they're going to be a team that strikes out this much, they're likely not going to be a playoff team. It's hard to strike out at the rate that they're doing for a full 162 games and then expect to be a postseason team. That's just facts. It's happened before. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's hard. And and, and it's making it a little bit harder on them. So, again, uh, let's not worry too much about, you know, the Mets and where they are focus on the Braves and see if the bats can get going. And that's really the biggest thing because as much as the pitching has been good, um, the bats for me, this team was supposed to slug its way through 162. That's what this team was put together to do. That's what this lineup was put together to do. And they're not doing that. And that is problematic. And, and if they can't get that fixed sooner rather than later, uh, either they have to make some changes or you just got to ride it out and, and hope for hope that it eventually turns around and it's not too late. And that's not exactly the best formula for going out and trying to at least get back to the postseason after winning a World Series, let alone repeat. All right, that'll wrap things up here for us on A to Z here on this Tuesday. Appreciate Will McFadden stop by for a great conversation. Make sure you guys give us a follow on all social media on Twitter at Locked On ATL. I'm at Mark Zinno. Same on Instagram as well. If you 
do the Instagram sort of thing. Uh, make Thank you guys so much for making A to Z part of your everyday sports listen. Make your next listen, Hitting Hard with John Chuckery. Every day, the ATL Sports Talker hitting Braves, Falcons, Dogs, Hawks, everything you need right here on Locked On Sports Atlanta. Certainly, uh, make sure you guys follow all the shows here on the network. This is a, a great sort of uh, endeavor that we're undertaking, and we're glad you guys are along with us. We'll be back tomorrow on Wednesday for another big show. You guys have a great day. Don't take any crap from anybody. See you.